Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, your weekly geeky squeak with me, Christian Chiller. You can find more about the show at christianchiller.com slash podcasts. In fact, that page has had a little makeover. You can now listen to all the previous episodes straight from the page as well. And you can also find other ways to listen to the show on the same page. The Enthusiastic Amateur Podcast, I'm still waiting for interviewees to get back from holiday to approve shows so we can release it. I have two episodes ready to release, but um, it was a very collaborative experience, so I want to make sure everyone's happy with it, so I have to wait a little bit longer. But I do have something else I have been working on that I will tell you about a little bit later in the show. We're going to have a handful of links, and then I have an interview with uh, Jean-Georges Perrin, I'm pronouncing it the French way because he is actually originally French, although he now lives in the USA. He is the first non-US citizen to be nominated, well, and elected (laughs) as an IBM champion, which is a program for people uh, who are highly recognized in the IBM community. But we will be speaking specifically about a book he is working on from a publisher that I actually have done some work with as well, uh, Manning Publications. And this is a new book, Spark in Action. This is Apache Spark, uh, an analytics engine for big data, not uh, Adobe Spark, in case you wondered. (laughs) In any case, you want to know whether the interview will be relevant to you or not. But yeah, this is Apache Spark. So if you're into big data and analytics, then this will be a very interesting interview for you. And if you stay tuned, we'll also have some discount codes for that forthcoming book. So stay around after the links. But first, yes, some links. I just have three links for you today. The first one is an old link from 2014 from the New York Times magazine written by Laura Hudson on Twine. I have been experimenting a lot with creating some games and more of that later, actually. That's going to be related to my little announcements later in the show. And Twine is uh, an engine, a platform, a language, a tool, whatever you want to call it, for creating interactive fiction which is kind of the the games that I am most happy with right now. I covered this a little bit in the last show as well with a history of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy game, but that was using a very custom system that probably Twine can now do very easily, and it runs in a browser, of course. That's the modern world for you. Twine is a tool anybody can use to create games. Uh, whether they count as games is a controversial topic, which the article covers in some detail. Some people just describe them like clicking through a book, Uh, kind of like the Choose Your Own Adventures, and they are to a certain degree, but uh, if you're into storytelling and kind of very simple but effective in terms of narrative gameplay, then Twine is a very interesting tool. And I have been experimenting with it. I haven't released anything in Twine yet. I've actually been using um, a different system that's specifically aimed at a particular game called Expedition, which has its own little engine, but they're all sort of comparable. And it appeals to me because I'm more of a storyteller. I'm not so good with mechanics, but I have lots of ideas for stories. So this is uh, it's a tool that appeals to me. Um, and it a tool, it's a tool that appeals to a lot of, of gamers, people who have ideas but are not so good at coding or design or don't have the money or other resources for this. The interesting thing about this post is it also, if you bear in mind it's from 2014, ties into the Gamergate scandal and uh, actually the key protagonist of the piece is one of the main victims of the Gamergate scandal. And the game was uh, Depression Quest, which was created in Twine. And I guess some of the arguments of some of the people involved were that it's not really a game. I mean, that what is art? What is a game? Um, 
Yeah, this is a, an interesting discussion. I actually have a board game based on a computer game, This War of Mine, which is uh, I first heard about in a talk at an event here, the Talk and Play event, which is kind of a games culture meetup here in Berlin. It's a very interesting meetup, actually. And um, this was about games used as memorials, and specifically to war. And This War of Mine, the computer game, was a game based on, well, it's, it's non-specific, but it's kind of... Um, uh, the the survivors of the uh, Balkan War. You play the survivors in the board game version too. And the board game got labelled by many reviewers as more of a sort of art experience than a game. It's kind of a shared, somewhat depressing experience. But it's good. But is it a game? <laughs> and especially with the board game where you have cards, you have a board, you have dice, you have characters with statistics. Sounds a lot like a game, but... Uh, a lot of people say, yeah, it felt more like a kind of intense experience, like watching a really good horror film. And when it's over, you're kind of relieved, but you had, you, you had a time. <laughs> I would say a good time, but you had a time. Uh, and I think some of these, these games that are mentioned in this article uh, from the same creator of, of, as Depression Quest are sort of similar. You play them and you have an experience. Is it enjoyable? Is it horrific? Hard to say, but you have an experience. If you never heard of Twine or you're just interested in this kind of discussion, then go and have a read of that article. I actually intend to maybe go through some of the links that the article mentions and, and do some follow-up with what's happening with, with some of these projects, but I uh, haven't got around to that quite yet. But go and have a look if that sounds interesting to you. Next is an article from someone actually who I know from around Europe but is now living back in Berlin, an article on Dev.2 from um, Christian Heilman who is the open web person at Microsoft and uh, actually used to be a Mozilla before that. This is an article where he talks about kind of what, what, what's the title? The title is A Worrying Change in Open Source Perception. I guess his argument here from multiple facets is that open source used to be something that people do or did, did and do for a passion, to, to scratch an itch, to solve a problem, um, because they wanted to be open and collaborative. And now open source is sort of changing its proposition, especially in the eyes of business. And it's kind of becoming the things that a business have to do. Um, and this, this is good in, in some ways, but it's also bad in some ways because it's putting a lot of pressure on maintainers of projects that are still kind of popular, but don't necessarily uh, attract the, the big bucks, as it were. And he paralyzes, uh, is that a word? Well, it is now, um, the... The stereotype of the developer in a startup, the 10x developer, the developer crushing it. And, uh, you know, it's a horrible turn of phrase, which isn't so common in, in Europe, thankfully, but still. With the actual reality, especially of an open source developer, uh, usually working extra hours in their spare time, uh, getting abused in, uh, in uh, GitHub and GitLab issues and pull requests, uh, constantly being bombarded for feature requests from people who don't entirely appreciate the efforts going through. If you ever ask for money from a, a, co a code fund or from Open Collective or something like that, people are very kind of snarky about it. You know, the actual reality of being an open source developer. And equally, as the open source contributor, I mean, one of the arguments is that sometimes these projects don't make it that easy for people to get involved. Either they equally get abused, they get phased by code style guidelines um, when they're just trying to correct a typo or or CLAs from certain more commercial open source projects and things like this, and that the whole process is still not really matching where it is now. There aren't necessarily any uh, 
any concrete conclusions, more uh, propositions for conclusions in the article. Things like, and these are actually uh, things that I propose in a different way um, because of uh, the documentation work I do where you're frequently uh, focusing on the onboarding for people using projects. I, I suppose things like considering that developer, that user slash developer experience, things like making sure you keep on top of uh, contributors' contributions because, and I know this, as I've sort of been scaling my own little business for a little while and you bring on people to help you, but that is actually a hard, a very hard time because you don't necessarily have any more time, but you know that uh, empowering those people more to help you will free up your time. But at the same time, I'm using the word time a lot here, um, at the same time, finding the time to empower those people is also hard to find and you get stuck in this kind of middle ground that's hard to get out of and once you get out of it it helps but there's that initial steps and I can understand why sometimes people get stuck with that and then things like uh, I guess online uh, culture of contacting people and the way you should speak to people which is something I still see a lot and some of this is cultural some of this is I guess in quotes uh, nerds and geeks not really understanding social boundaries and things like this. Anyway, it's an interesting post. There's a lot of uh, comments in there as well. And actually, I think I might see if I get Christian on a future show. Seeing as he lives down the road, it would be appropriate. So go along and have a read. Finally, a post on Wired news of this week that was covered in many outlets from Katya Moskvich on uh, Alexa being used by the NHS, the, NA- the National Health Service of the UK, the Public Health Service of the United Kingdom. Um... This so so the UK already has this kind of non-emergencies line just to fill in some background. Um, kind of started long since I lived in the country, but it exists. So this is to encourage people to not tie up emergency services with things like cold, flu, um, sprains. I guess just to speak to someone uh, and sometimes recorded advice as well to help um, solve these these minor health issues. You don't really need to see a doctor or go to a hospital for. And, and triage those. So I suppose the uh, the, the people in uh, the NHS thought, well, you know, there's these devices a lot of people talk to. Uh, why not offer that as a, a service too? It seems reasonable, but of course, well, Alexa is not directly run by the NHS. It's run by Amazon, and Alexa especially has a sketchy history with privacy. Uh, every time there is an accusation of... Um, of privacy violations, Amazon has a defense for it. Uh, I, I, I cast no judgment on whether um, this is ju- uh, true or not. I, I don't know. It's always hard to know because often often it's these weird kind of anti-patterns with design. It's like, well, you can delete your data, but they don't necessarily go out of the way to make it obvious how. Uh, is that necessarily any better than not allowing it at all? And, of course, health data is something that is very private. You don't even – I well – I mean, it's interesting because when we're sick, we're probably actually giving away data without even realizing. I have I have uh, seen uh, surveys in the past to show that um, Google, if you're using Google Maps and things like this, often knows you're sick before you do because it detects that you're moving slower, you're not as responsive as before and things like this. Um, it may be that you stay home more instead of going to work. So often these services, these data harvesting services, know you're sick even before you do. So is adding a, another outlet of that necessarily um, bad? Well, who knows? I mean, I suppose this opens the whole discussion that, again, um, people don't necessarily know these things. And uh, it's good that they learn that these services probably know all this stuff anyway. Of course, Amazon is claiming that they're not keeping any of this data. It's going straight to the NHS. 
But is it? We don't know. What if in six months' time they reveal, oh, shit, sorry, everybody, we actually had this problem and we have been, et cetera, et cetera. So, yes, um, I'd be interested to see if, uh, contrary to all the backlash against it, has anyone been using the service? I mean, the tech press, the privacy press is always going to call out things like this, but has anyone been using it? Has the general public thought, hey, this is a great idea, sounds good to me, I don't care, which would be interesting to know and which the article doesn't cover, actually. So I'd be interested to hear from anybody if, who is in the UK that if, if you know if uh, anyone's actually used the service. So, yeah. Have a read, and uh, if you know any more, then I'd love to hear from you. You can find contact details at christianchiller.com slash podcast. And now, as I mentioned earlier in the show, is my interview with Jean-Georges Perrin, um, serial entrepreneur, IBM champion, and now working on a new book with Manning, publishing about Apache Spark. And if the book sounds appealing to you, check the show notes because we have some discount codes for the book for you. Thank you, Chris, for having me to the, today on your uh, on your podcast. Uh, so my name is uh, Jean-Georges Perrin. Um, I was I was born French, and I'm I'm still French, and I moved to the U.S. Uh, a few um, a few years ago. Um, and I do a lot of things, but one of the things that is of interest today is that I'm the author of um, Manning Spark in Action Second Edition. Mm-hmm. Um, I fell in love with spark a few years ago and i could not resist the urge of writing a book <laughs> and uh i'm not regretting it at all um <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it's uh it's been a, it's been an interesting experience so i can imagine i have written one book uh not okay. on a subject as complex well i don't know maybe it was on web development so i don't think it's quite as complex as spark well maybe i don't know complex in a different way um but I'd just like to go back into your story a little bit. Um, sure. I, you actually have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> I yeah, I've, I, I had some friends who wanted to be nice to me, I guess. <laughs> I used to have one many years ago. I used to play in a band and, and it's gone now. I need to get it back again. I need to somehow do something important to have a Wikipedia page again. Um Maybe at some point in the future. But anyway, um, so yeah, as you said, you're originally from France because I kept getting confused with the time zone, uh, thinking you were in France. Um, it says, uh, that, well, the Wikipedia page anyway, says that um, you're the only non-American IBM champion. What, what's an IBM champion? Okay, so I was, um, yeah, it's probably out of date on the <laughs> Wikipedia page. Uh, I'm not the, I'm not the only, at the uh, time. non, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, at that time I was, um, I was the first, I, I think I was, yeah, one of the first, uh, um, IBM champion, um, in, in France, maybe, uh, um, maybe other countries. I don't, I don't remember, but anyway, yeah. So an IBM champion is really someone who is an advocate for IBM. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, we are, we are about 500 in the world mm-hmm. now. And it, it's really, you know, uh, about recognizing what, what IBM has been doing. And, um, and, and, and really because I, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of 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 of, of IBM. I'm I know it probably sounds a little bit odd. Um, I think it's it's uh, it's a company that is probably a little bit underrated, mm. um, uh, and their because their contribution 
you know, it, it, it's funny. As a contributor, when we speak about Spark, uh, um, we all know it's an open source product, a project from in the Apache, backed by the Apache Foundation. But, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, okay? So people have to be paid to contribute and to make it a, a successful product. And that's actually the business model behind a lot of the Apache uh, based product, Apache. Uh, so, um, and, and everybody, that digs a little bit, find out very quickly is that one of the big company behind, um, beyond Spark is, is, is Databricks, uh, yeah, where, yeah. uh, most of the, most of the, most of the contributors. It's the same as uh, Cassandra, isn't it? I think from memory. It's the same as, sorry, which one? Is it the same company that also does a lot of work with Cassandra? I think Databricks. Or? Uh, no, Cassandra is couch based now. No, um, no, I don't remember. No, they don't do much. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. So, so, so I think Databricks. Well, if, if they do it, it's, they do a lot with with Spark, and they have another product now, which is called the uh, Delta Lake, which mm-hmm. is a which is a uh, in memory database uh, linked to Spark. But uh, and they probably have other other stuff. But anyway, so Databricks is is a, is a name that comes to 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 um to mine very quickly but ibm has been contributing a lot mm. uh and and it's not really public and i think a lot it's uh they announced figures but i don't i don't you know i don't remember the figures and i don't really want to remember i don't uh, <laughs> i've got i've got i've got limited memory blocks so but um yeah so so yeah so that's that that's why so i've i've been okay. Uh, an IBM champion for 11 years now. Um, and, and as far um, as I can tell, that's mostly with a, a product of theirs in Formix. Is that anything to do with Spark? Or I, I, I kind of operate in the very non-enterprise world, so I don't always know. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, okay. So, so yeah. So I started, I started my journey with IBM with, with, with Informix. So mm-hmm. Informix, uh, we need to rewind a little bit in the past. Informix <laughs> was an awesome and it's still an awesome database, um, that came out in the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, and, Add, add some traction. Add a very good market traction for for a while. Uh, it was seriously competing with Oracle um, mm-hmm. uh, as a database. Now we don't know. Nobody knows what Oracle is doing anymore. But but, but um, so they they were uh, in the mid in the mid '90s. Typically, they were um, they were competing with one another. Um, and um, Informix was one of the first database to introduce uh, object storage back 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 in the mid nineties. Mm. Um, they uh, they they introduced um, uh, they they had a f- first storage um, you know distinguished storage like uh, having row devices and things like that. So so it was it was um, it was pretty it was pretty uh um pretty advanced in, in its time i think it was also one of the more first threaded database uh compared to a lot of them which were kind of more monolithical database um and then in the mid 90s that was one of the first scandal like like the enron scandal where the informing ceo Kind of cooked the numbers, and it actually all 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 came from Germany. Um, well, you know. not, yeah, <laughs> Deutsche Bank not, is not, a perfect not, bank uh, with a pristine well, reputation. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I am, I am, I've got a lot of German friends. I'm not, <laughs> I still want them to be friends. Uh, but nevertheless, yes, Informix, and Informix was 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 still it was big in Germany, and was still it's still big in Germany anyway. Um, 
but they started cooking a bit the numbers and that exploded in their face and they lost a lot of traction because because of that and that's uh uh that's where Informix started to be a bit more in trouble as a company mm-hmm. and um in 2001 what happened is that um uh, is that IBM um bought Informix um so, and I was working since roughly 97 with, with Informix, so four years before the acquisition by mm-hmm. IBM. Um, and, uh, I, I, I thought it was great. Um, if you, if you project yourself back in the very early 2000, um, the, 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 the panorama uh, was much, much different. Okay. There was already open source and there was already things like MySQL, but the, the trust that people would put in open source product was not as great as it is now. Mm-hmm. And, um, so commercial databases really were still very interesting. And I, IBM at that time was doing also a lot of, um, groupware. And, uh, I, I really, you know, one of my very, uh, very high expectation at that time was that Informix would, would become the, the brand, the database brand of, of, of IBM. Mm-hmm. Like when they bought Lotus, mm-hmm. uh, all their collaborative products, Domino and all the uh, notes and where, where under the umbrella called Lotus, so they kept the brand Lotus for a long time. Um, so I was, I was naive and hoping that Informix was that, but at, at that time, the general manager who, who purchased, uh, Informix, uh, um, decided that it actually is what they were mostly interested in is, is, uh, is acquiring their, um, the user base and tr- try to migrate the user base to DB2. Um, and that didn't go very well. Um, but so Informix had a pretty successful still in the, uh, in the IBM portfolio. Um, and it's still in the IBM portfolio, but now, um, one, one thing I appreciate about IBM is, is that when they see that it's outside of the core business, they, they spin off or they license the technology or they, um, they find some kind of deals where people are taking over. And, and right now, uh, so Informix is still an IBM product. It's still an IBM, um, intellectual property, but it's, it's maintained and developed by a company called HCL. Mm-hmm. And they did the same thing with Rational and they did, and, um, and also groupware as well. Mm-hmm. So, so I like that IBM, you know, when you compare IBM to HP, for example, um, IBM, when they see that they want to continue something instead of becoming even bigger than they are, they, they shift the products to, uh, to other, to other companies. And they did that for printers with Lexmark. They did that with, with PCs and x86 uh, servers with um, Lenovo. So they're, they're continuing doing that. To st- so they steep, they, they stay on their core business. So. Okay. And so just, that's, that's, some, that's, that's kind of the integrity I yeah. like about IBM. Okay. And just to wrap up the story, what took you to the States? Uh, I've been an entrepreneur, uh, um, in my life quite, quite a bit. I started my first ventures back in the mid nineties. Um, and, uh, in 2006, I created a company called Green Ivory mm-hmm. and we, we, we built, uh, a portfolio of e-marketing and web marketing tools. Um, and in, we were, I think we, we, we got a lot of innovation and, and, and we were rewarded for this innovation. We, uh, for example, we, we were doing uh, sentiment analysis at scale mm-hmm. back in 2011, 2012. Um, and when I say at scale, it's really, we were massively getting documents from the internet, measuring, uh, trying to 
well, measuring brand analysis and brand impact uh, and sentiment and uh, link to to those brands. So that that um, that was that was at that time pretty early on the market. Um, so we, we were, yeah, we we built this this company, and uh, unfortunately. Uh, we were not super successful in the market and uh, let's say that the French politics didn't help. Um, so we had to, we had to terminate the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm out of France. I'm, uh, you know, if we were in a beer garden together, we could, I could tell you a lot more about it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure it's interesting the crowd, but, uh, um, but so. But anyway, so I decided. Uh, okay, so basically, yeah. and uh, pardon my French, but fuck it. And uh, I, I went to the. Um, I decided to, go, yeah. to move to the US. But I think you gave me uh, a good segue anyway, because um, I'm guessing sentiment analysis is somewhat what brought you into what we would these days call big data and data analysis, which is sort of where Spark sits in many ways yeah just just for those who don't know what is apache spark and i mean typically apache spark often sits alongside some other apache projects so what's yeah what's the what's its purpose and where would you use it in your tool chain yeah so 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 that's that's a that's a good question i can give you the answer and i can cite the answer on the uh on the spark.apache.org website Mm -hmm. or i can tell you what I think it is. Um, and what I think it is, is I think it's an analytics and distributed operating system. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's really, you know, when you're building applications, uh, you rely on your operating system. You, you add a layer, you've got some APIs and, and you, and you build your application and you deliver your application. And that's, that's great. Um, when when you're starting to to do distributed computing, because the way to grow um, right now is to do is to do distributed distributed computing. Mm-hmm. So you can't really um, you can't just you know add more CPUs to the same box. You've got to the idea is to have more and more boxes to to actually deliver more power. So that's that's what is distributed computing. It's not recent, okay. Uh um even in the 90s uh I had a few distributed process um uh, distributed project computing projects. Um but but uh, so it, it's become more popular because of the growth of the data we had to process. Um so when you want to do applications like that and you want to leverage all those things, uh, either you implement in your, uh, in your application, all these libraries, all this knowledge of which nodes is available or, uh, which nodes are some resource available or whatever. And you've got to consolidate that in your application. And then you can actually start dispatching all your, um, all your, your task. So, or you rely on something else to do that. And I think there's something else to do that is really, is really spark and add on top of that a lot of, um, ability to do analytics, um, like, uh, you know, all this, all this aggregation, all this joining of, of, uh, you finding databases, uh, all this function, all this extensibility you can build in. Uh, and that's, that's why. 
I think Spark is really this distributed analytics um, uh, operating system where you can start building your application and deploying your application. And like for an operating system, when you build something, you don't really care about all the, the, the the behavior of the system itself. So with Spark, it's a bit similar where, of course, you've got to care about the resource on your nodes and, and whatever, but you don't have to care that much. You know, uh, when I'm building an application, I don't care if a node is going to disappear. I don't care if, uh, if my data is not available on, on one node because all that is, is actually something that Spark will take care for me. Okay. And I, I, I've come across Spark myself because I used to actually do some work with Apache Flink. Um, okay. I also work with a company at the moment that's kind of a, a partial rival to Kafka. Um, yeah. So I know, and then there's also Hadoop, which I think from memory is still an Apache project. It's and, still, and, yeah. And I think there's a lot of these uh, Apache projects that all kind of cross over a little bit, don't they? Um, yes. So yes. Would you think they're complementary, or they cross over, or they're performing different parts of the same pipeline? It, 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 it's it's funny because I would say it's a bit of all of that. Okay. So, for example, um, if you look at the very low level, uh, you've got um, big data brought a lot of constraints on a lot of things. So um, if you remember when Cloudera and Autonworks were two separate companies, mm. um, they decided to have different files, file formats for big data um, because you, you couldn't do anything, all the things with JSON or XML or CSVs. So, uh, so one was pushing Parquet and the other one was pushing uh, Orc and even Mapar was kind of uh, not, not Mapar um, Confluent was was pushing Avro. So you've got big data file format, but you've got this competition between the backers mm. um, that are doing that. So so yeah, so there's always a little bit of a, a bit of competitions. There's a bit of probably a little bit of waste. Um, one one of the thing I was uh, I've been asked to do some kind of data prediction for twenty twelve for twenty yeah for twenty nineteen for a company and I said what was going to be interesting is which of Arc or Parquet is going to survive the merger with with between Cloudera and Hortonworks uh, because I think there's no need for these two they are pretty similar in in a lot of ways um, and they need to rationalize their their offering so so there's there's all these things but but um, what I also like, yeah. So you, you could see a lot of uh, competition with with Spark, but also a lot of uh, um, of things where um, they, they 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 can get along with others. Um, first, first, when you look at Spark, it's more like an ecosystem, okay, as an operating system. It doesn't solve one thing; uh, it can solve many things, uh, and it can. The, the other, the, the other, the other aspect of that is it's, it's a bit self, um, self-standing in, in a way that if you're trying to install Hadoop, 
uh, it's going to be a pretty complex process. So you've mm -hmm. got virtual machines and you've got a lot of, uh, you, you cannot install really on your Mac, uh, um, uh, Hadoop just on, on a single node where you can do a lot of things with Spark just on one single node. Okay. And uh, out of the box, it supports SQL, which is not the case for Hadoop, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in many ways, people were also comparing um, Spark as the evolution of Hadoop, and I kind of a bit, I kind of disagree a bit with with that. Um, and uh, when so it, it works it works fairly well in the in the um, in the overall Apache ecosystem, um, but not only. I mean, it's it it became such attraction that if you want to, for example, plug it to Elasticsearch or Solar, it's it's very easy, mm -hmm. and um, I mean, uh, uh, Elasticsearch, not Apache Foundation. No. Um, so, so, so there's. I think that's that's where that's where Spark has been smart in in this way as well. Is okay. We 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 we're going to adopt this ecosystem and we're going to play nice in this ecosystem. Uh, and a lot of the things are are pretty much um, are, are are pretty much. Uh, interoperable mm -hmm. um, we if you think about streaming you can do you can definitely do streaming uh, with, with spark it has a lot of things but the API is also can easily integrate with Kafka mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so you don't need to um, you don't need to you know you don't need to use something else you can just use Kafka because your infrastructure or your application development are already using Kafka. Just, to, just to help people understand the sort of specific mm -hmm. tasks you might do with Spark, I mean, when I look at the, the, the Apache project page, it's kind of a bit of mixed messaging in, in my mind, maybe. Um, analytics engine, I sort of understand. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of uh, sort of phrasing that um, implies to do this fairly quickly on streaming data, as you say, i.e. data that's coming in all the time or large data yeah. sets. But then there's a code example that's very, very simple. Uh, like read a JSON file, show me um, everything that's over the age of 21, yeah. um, which looks very simple. And I'm sure it's much more complex than that. So, well, <laughs> it's, 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 it's actually not. Okay, and that, that, that's 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 really um, that that's 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 really that's really one of the thing is um, it's it's um, yeah it's it's not it's not that complex. So yeah, and one one thing if we look at Spark. Uh, yeah, You've got um, you've got this small example on their mm. homepage, yeah, uh, and and you've got something they which they call the, the data frame, which is um, and if if people if you do if you do Python or if the listeners know about Python, it's a very similar concept as the as the data frame in, in Python, but um, it's it's an API under storage container, and, and really if you learn. If you learn the, the, the data frame API, which is not that complex, and this is where you see these things like uh, data frame dot where and data frame dot select and data frame dot, dot show, um, and and once you've learned this thing, you can do SQL, you can do streaming, you can do machine learning. Uh, it's it's exactly the same API you will see across the different pillars that you will where you you'll be able to use Spark. So that's that's also a very powerful um, tool for the developers. It's a very friendly um, for a developer tool. I think mm -hmm. yeah.
and so you you decided to to start writing this book for Manning. Um, yep. I I would assume, but I might be wrong, that it's not the first book on Spark. Uh, maybe 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 I'm wrong. Maybe it is. But uh, no, you're not wrong at all. Uh, so you want me to to give our time to my competition? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I'd like I'd like to know why you wanted to write it. What you felt was missing what you felt needed to be explained differently yeah so so first 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 of all um spark spark has been around for for some time uh now i think i think something like uh i think it i think they celebrated that kind of 10th anniversary okay. not 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 too long ago but really the early versions were not that not where were more like a uh more secretive than 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 production but uh there was a major shift about three years ago when, when Spark went to version one to version two. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the books and still a lot of the books around are still mainly around version one of, um, of, of Spark. Um, and the consequence of that, even if they say they cover version two, they cover version two, but because of the compatibility, but not because of the concepts. Um, for example, in version one, Spark relied um, on a container, uh, a storage container called RDDs, so for resilient distributed data sets, um, and which, as they say, they're resilient and they're distributed. Um, but in version two, they, that's where they, the community introduced this notion of data frame, mm. and it's an abstraction on top of the of the of the RDD. And the big benefit of that is that because it's abstract, it abstracts the RDD, um, which are still there; they're not being replaced. But if you use the data frame, the the optimizer. Called Catalyst can actually do a lot b- a better work because it it relies on this higher level interface and the performance are much better. Usually, when you add a higher level of APIs, you you kind of lose performance. In this case, it's different, uh, and so a lot of the books that are still out there are describing how to use RDDs, how to do manipulation at the lower level with RDDs, which I think is is actually. Um, not that great. And when I'm doing consulting and I'm seeing a lot of people just doing RDDs, I'm saying, well, maybe you should consider, you know, uh, data frames. It's still useful to use RDDs in some very specific scenarios, but mm-hmm. m- mostly it would be inter- more interesting for people to use data frames for performance and ease of use and etc. So when you look at, at Spark in Action Second Edition, uh, I mention RDDs because they are worth mentioning because people need to know that they are here. But all the examples are using data frames. Okay. So, so I'm teaching in the book, I'm teaching data frames. Um, so it's really, that's one of the angle that, um, that I wanted, I wanted to take care, um, of in, in the book. So that, that's one reason. Um, a, another reason, um, was that people thought that you learn you needed to learn Scala to use Spark? Okay, so Spark is written in Scala, and uh, they did a great job writing Spark. So uh, I guess that Scala is perfect for writing Spark. But if you need to write applications that leverage Spark, well, you don't need to learn Scala, mm. and and a lot of books are are, are on there. I have example in Scala. So if you're 
putting the bar saying, well, if you want to do Spark, you've got to first run Scala, then you lose a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And uh, all all the examples in the books are written in Java. And the repo repo will contain Scala and Python examples, but it's really, um, you know, for data engineers out there, which are probably more familiar with Java than they are with with Scala. a third reason is sim- similarly that a lot of people are also saying, you know, it's a kind of the myth to try to debunk um, that Spark is like the next version of Hadoop, uh, which also implies that if you don't want to learn Spark, you've got to learn Hadoop. And I don't think I mentioned Hadoop that much in the book. Uh, yes, because it's part of the e- ecosystem. Yes, because some of the components of Hadoop are interesting, like HDFS or Yarn as a, as a, Yarn is a resource allocator. Um, so, so that's, that's useful in the context of Spark. Um, but, in, 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 but it can be replaced. For example, HDFS is replaced by, in a lot of projects I work with, it's either, um, um, I'm an AWS S3 or IBM Cloud, um, object storage. Um, and as, as an orchestrator or as, um, a resource allocator, Yarn is being replaced by Mesos or Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so the, the, the lineage between Spark and Hadoop is not as strong as a lot of people would like it to make mm. uh, or appear. Um, so that's also something I wanted to debunk in the book. Um, and I would say finally, uh, an- another reason is this this rule operating system thing, uh, and um, that that came from um, uh, from a talk I went to. Um, at um at IBM actually yeah. IBM think um and that uh, I mean, that that time it was called the world of watson and um so on on stage was was a friend of mine um Rob Thomas and uh Rob was making a point about this analytics operating system um <laughs> and I said okay well I like you Rob but I figures I've I've I need to be convinced about that. So I, I looked into it and he managed to convince me. And I said, well, this is, you know, it's like an evangel. You've got, uh, I, I, f- I feel like I've got to share this information with the rest of the world. And that's, that's also one reason mm-hmm. of the book. So that was all this motivation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's why also Rob brought it forward of the book because I think he, he kind of deserved to contribute as well. And this is the uh, second edition. Yeah. Yes, it is a second edition. Did you write the first edition as well? I no, I did not okay. write the first edition, and there's not that much lineage yeah. between the first and the second edition. That was going to be because I uh, the the one of the books I wrote was also a second edition, and I must admit, you end up rewriting way more than you think, just because it doesn't feel like you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know the the, the, the original title was not even uh, Spark in Action. It mm. was it was. Um, it was Spark with Java, mm. and uh, and uh, it started selling well as uh, Manning does this uh, Manning Early Access program. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got some feedback from from people saying, "Hey, maybe you should incorporate more, um, more, 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 more stuff than just purely Java." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Okay, well, I'm not going to put in documents the examples in the 
book, but we are going to have this more global view of the world. And, uh, and therefore, um, Manning decided to call it Spark in Action Second Edition. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, okay, well, you're in the book business. If you, <laughs> you probably know what you're doing. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to combat mm-hmm. them with you and uh, and actually I'm, I was kind of honored because you know when, when you think about about Manning's uh, inaction is kind of their you know premium brand and that's where that's got that's what got them started so I really said okay well I love it thanks and how um, did you go around uh, structuring the book I, it's, it's always I mean I think with a with a with a tool like Spark it's yeah you know, you have this assumption that the vast majority of people who are going to use a tool like that have a vague idea of what they're doing um, and have built fairly complex applications um, to, to know that they need a tool like Spark. So how, how do you decide where to begin and how far to, to take people on that kind of learning journey? It was, it was actually fairly simple. Um, when you're looking at a big data prob, uh, challenge, okay, um, you, 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 you need to ingest data. You need to do some processing of the data and you need to get the data, the data out. Okay. So, so there's this, this very fundamental process of, uh, um, ingestion, applying data quality rules, applying your transformation and, and then, uh, um, Outputting, I would say, the, the, the data. Um, so I just follow that. Um, and, uh, I, I, I just follow this, this, this process. But so I divided the, the book in, in four parts. Um, and actually, if I start by part two, it's the ingestion of the data, which in the process is really, um, the, the most critical part where you, you, you bring data in. Then the third part is about transforming your data and all the transformation you can do it. And the fourth part, which I'm kind of wrapping up, uh, those days is about going further, which is actually exporting the data, uh, understanding a little bit more. You can play in the ecosystem, um, and, and, and such. But the first part is, is really to say, okay, well, we, we've got, we've got to make sure that you get the fundamentals of Spark mm-hmm. and the fundamentals of big data. Um, so it's, it's, that's why I call this part the theory crippled by awesome examples. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I didn't want, you know, just to have a kind of a boring theoretical lecture, but really trying to learn key concepts about uh about spark um using using examples uh and and i think um i got a lot of praise for this for this first part so so i I guess that it's working um and i i I love to learn by example myself and when i'm you know when i'm leading teams uh, that's that's also what i'm doing is really trying to provide examples uh and i think that's kind of a bit the lingua franca of a lot of developers mm-hmm. uh but writing a book you've got to put the example in the context you've got to put you've got to put you know things around that to to make it to make it digestible and mm-hmm. palatable so that's 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 how i structure the book um and and, and really i think it's going in every in every uh in every part, it's going from easier to a little bit more complex. Yeah. Uh, um, How so did you example, decide what yep. example to use? I think this is always a difficult thing, and especially with a tool 
like uh, like Spark, but like many that is very, you know, you could do so many different things. Um, how do you decide what applicate what what example is the best demonstration of what's possible? So 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 I took a lot of time defining that, and and it's true that when you're looking at things you find on the web, okay, because you find a lot of content on the web, but mm. uh, they always have this kind of dummy data sets that mm. represent nothing, uh, uh, you know, like fields with called ABC with value one, two, three, whatever. Okay, we've all done this kind of lab mm. stuff, but it doesn't teach you what happens when you've got a problems or what happens uh, with real data you've got to actually transform. Mm. So every time, every time I had an example to write, um, um, well, I, I try to relate to something that is actually real life. Mm. Um, uh, I just, I just, what, what's on the top of my head right now is, is I just finished chapter 16 and chapter 16 um, is um, it, it, it's, it's, it's about performance, caching, checkpointing and explaining, explaining that. So um, what, what I've, what I've done is I took a, a, a data sets from Brazil Mm -hmm. and the Brazil economics, mm -hmm. um, the country. And uh, I run a lot of different aggregation, a lot of different permutation of data mm -hmm. to, to, to get some, to get, you know, just to get some statistical information, which is interesting about Brazil, like, which is the biggest uh, region where, where, where's the most post offices, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, so by 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 doing by building this example around this data set, it gives more, you know, it gives more value, I would say, um, uh, and to 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 the to the you know to the to, to the people reading it, and also something which they can relate to. Okay, so uh, people may not be familiar with Brazil, but you know that okay, Sao Paulo is is a is an economic poorhouse for the country, mm -hmm. so. It's interesting to see the, how it ranks compared to the other states, etc. And you see that in, in while while reading and reading the, the the book, okay. So and that's that's a perfect way as you go to to understand what caching does and what cache how caching works on, on your data. So it actually performs much faster when you use a cache at the right place. If I was using dummy data sets, uh, or you know. It would be a lot more difficult to explain. Well, this is this is where you need to put your cache mm -hmm. uh, because it's just a dummy data, so nobody sees why there. Mm -hmm. Where when you're working on a real data set, I say, okay, well, I'm doing all this aggregation on the data. You see, you can see the raw data at that point, but and and after I apply data quality rules, then then I've got a good data set at that point, and then I can cache it. Mm -hmm. And then I can do my analytics on top of it. Okay. So I think I think that's a kind of that's what I was trying to do. And it's a challenge. It's it's fun because I was I was trying to look at um at data sets. So I use a lot of open data around there. Um I use I try to use examples from around the world. Uh um you know I'm still European at art. Uh, so, so yeah, it was, it was actually fun to, it's, it's actually very fun to, um, to look for the data sets. Um, um, 
chapter chapter 17, which I'm working on right now, is going to work with a French data set. So people will have to learn French at the same time. <laughs> well, that was going to be my next question is, uh, where are you up to um, so far? So chapter 17 out of roughly how many? So chapter, so, um, so I've wrote chapter one to 16 and uh, the last one has not been edited yet, but it's, it's in the um, expert hands of my editor. Um, and, and if you're familiar with the manning process, it's actually editors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I'm, I started a, uh, I had a problem with 16. So in parallel, I worked with 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 17 is in the works. Um, and, um, uh, and 18 is, I would say, halfway done. It's mm-hmm. usually I'm writing more linearly mm-hmm. and 18 is the last one. Um, but there was a lot of things that I've wrote for chapter six, which didn't make sense that early in the yep. book. Yeah. Uh, so I pushed them back to chapter 18. So, uh, yeah. so, so I would say I have one and a half chapter to write. Um, my goal is to finish the manuscript by the end of them this month, like really July. Um, I've, I've got a great editor, but she knows I'm never respecting my dates. So, oh, I don't uh, think anybody does. I would. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I bet I'll try for once to do it. But the idea is, uh, is to finish the manuscript by, you know, really, really by the end of summer yeah. anyway. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and uh, I'm and actually I'm changing job at the very beginning of August, so okay. I've got. You have to have it finished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's another motivation, <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and that's um, and and that's that's a uh, yeah that's that's where that's 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 uh, yeah that's a that's a yeah that's a motivation. Okay. Um, so it's it's mostly done, but as 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 you know, uh, after. Um, after finishing the manuscript, uh, there's, there's a lot of work yeah. that has to be done still, like uh, all the reviews, um, all the past editing mm-hmm. and, uh, before it actually can go to print. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd love to have it in, in print before Christmas, but, but I think I, I doubt that it will I'm be. I'm not a- sure if it's a Christmas book anyway. So it probably, yeah. <laughs> Come on. I want everybody to buy it for Christmas and put it under the Christmas tree. <laughs> Well, because of, all, because of probably ebooks, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, 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 and you know, the thing is, what I loved in the process was really um, was was really to um, um, to be able to interact with, with the readers mm. as you write the book. So mm. some are some are awesome, and, and other ones you, you you know you don't want to meet them in real life, mm. uh, but. Um, um, and, and it's also trying to, 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 to do a few things. For example, of chapter 16, I decided to pick uh, a data set from Brazil mm-hmm. because I'm going to work for a Brazilian company. Ah, okay. And the two, and the two first, and the two first comments I got on the Manning, uh, catalog page was, was, well, first I rated the book five out of five. So thank you guys. Um, and, but they are both, both comments are from Brazil. So to thank them, <laughs> I, I wanted to use a, a Brazilian set. So. <laughs> well, it worked. I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, yeah. It's, 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 it's actually fun. Yeah, so. yeah. And, uh, so for anyone who was interested in, in writing their own technical book, what would be 
like three pieces of essential advice you'd give someone? I mean, this isn't your first. You've done a few. So what would be some of the essential advice you'd give someone when, if they were writing their own technical book? So, yeah, that's actually my third book. The two first books I wrote were self-published. Mm-hmm. Um, one was self-published when I was in college back uh, in the early 90s. Um, that was that was not even called self-publishing. I don't think yeah, at that no. time. I don't know what it was called, like using a, using a photocopier. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so... Um, Writing with writing with a publisher is tough. Yeah. Um, if if you think if you think you can actually write by yourself and you can actually be self-published, and I've wrote a lot of articles as well, um, and and I've wrote a few things also for um, IBM. It used to be called uh, Developer Works, which mm-hmm. is now there. It's called just IBM Developers, a developer program. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you work with editors, but they do a lot of the job. Mm-hmm. They they take your they take your draft mm-hmm. and they just make this awesome work um, of turning my Franglish into proper English. Mm-hmm. When you work with Manning, and I love my editor, she's great, but she doesn't do any of that. Um, so. She, she tells you things like, okay, it's, it's not, you've got to correct that or that or that, but they don't, they don't hold your hand in a way. Uh, it's more like they're more directive. So when, when you're thinking, um, when you're thinking about writing a book, uh, you've got to take into account that it's going to take you a lot more time than you, than you expect uh and i think manning knows that because when i looked at my contract and the date we originally put in my contract versus of versus the dates the actual dates that's kind of completely i mean i mean they were they were probably nice to leave them in the contract but they they were probably laughing at the same time um so it's really taking a lot of time this whole project um for me started Roughly three years ago, um, as, as the idea. And I've been writing with Manning since October of 2017. So that's, that's almost, that's going to be almost two years. Um, uh, it, it's, it's a, it's also a big book. It's, yeah. it's going to be like 600 pages. Oh, wow. okay. right. okay. Yeah. There's 18 chapters. I don't know how many appendices. It's crazy. Uh, but, but there's a lot to know. And, um, uh, but anyway, so, so Manning, Manning, uh, um, uh, has a lot of rules, uh, which are good rules. Okay. And, and, you know, uh, you know, French people have a tendency to take rules as recommendations. Um, but I think they are good rules. So they're good recommendations and, uh, and your progress. Um, I don't know what your experience was, but I think that in teaching, uh, in building teaching material and building the way I write, you get a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, at, at, at doing that. So, so I think it was, a, it was overall a, a, a good experience. So in terms of advice is uh, really make sure you have the time mm. and the bandwidth to do it really. Uh, yeah. 
family interaction takes takes a toll. Um, um, <laughs> I've you know I started I started by thinking that I could actually write a bit on weekends and combine all those things and it would be enough. And uh, um, well, this morning I get up at four at, at half past four. And I usually get up at around five five thirty, uh, so I can actually write a couple of hours mm. before I actually tackle my paying jobs uh and um yeah, because a book doesn't pay um so so yeah so it's it's a it's a it's 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 a lot of work it's a lot of commitment but it but it's it's also um it, it's it's also a fantastic experience so it's really rewarding if you like this kind of rewards um so 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 and if you, you know, also I, I've heard, I've heard some people saying, "Oh, I, I, everything has been written on everything already, so there's 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 no room for me to write something." Um, and I think that's wrong. I think it's, you know, as you, as you said, there's there's already quite a few books on 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 Spark, uh, but I think it's really about the way you teach people or you want to communicate your message mm. so if you feel strongly about something well put in writing okay put it do write your book mm. and and there's a market for it i mean there's an industry for it it's not the web has not killed books and mm. uh, so so yeah go for it yeah have fun and final question then would sure. be after all this, after all your practical experience, after writing a book, um, what would be, this might be a very hard question, I don't know, what would be the one or two, I don't know, whatever you think is needed, key piece of advice for someone wanting to get started with Spark? What's the, like, the one thing that people always need to overlook that you really want people to know? Is I just buy, just buy my book. <laughs> that was an easy answer. Uh, no, more, 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 more seriously is is be careful about 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 this thing about uh, you know as I said uh, that you've got to learn Scala or you've got to learn um, Hadoop before you start. So uh, don't 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 believe that. Um, get get your own opinion. Yeah. Um, it's. The great thing as well is you can work it on on a single on a, on a simple machine. So don't don't think that you need to um, to buy a, a huge computer, a huge cluster um, to to make it work, or have some kind of subscription to some cloud services. So it works perfectly on your laptop. Um, it's um, so and it's really I think it's really easy while when you get the concepts in and, and really the concepts are not that difficult if you're already familiar with relational databases mm. uh, or even a, uh, a, few, a SQL and, uh, and, and some basic development skills. Mm. You know, it's, it's not, I don't think the bar to, to go to Spark is that high. Um, it's, it's really, in many ways, I think it's 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 easier than many open source projects. 
if, if you want to go to Kubernetes, it's much more difficult, for example, and a project. Yeah, Kubernetes, no, sure, yeah. yeah, it's 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 get, the bar the bar to get in is is much higher. Uh, yeah, Spark is is yeah. If you're you know, it, it depends it depends where you come from, for, of course. But really, um, if you're if you're familiar with with um, RDBMSs, if you're familiar. Um, with with some long, some programming language, whether it's Java or Python um, or even Scala, uh, it's 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 fairly easy. Um, so just just go for it, uh, work for it, um, and uh, use some data sets. Try to you know it's it's easier. For example, if you want to try to, I'm not saying the book is mainly for data engineers, mm-hmm. but if you're a data scientist and, or if you're an aspiring data scientist, or if you're a data engineer that wants to do a bit more analytics, uh, you, you find, you go out there, you find a data set you, you want to exploit and you ingest it into Spark. And then you start, you know, you start looking at the data that is being ingested and then you can start modifying, transforming the data, see what's coming out of it. And that would be, I think, the, the best way to to get familiar with with Spark and yeah. its and its and its output and what you yeah. can do with it and yeah so so yeah. it's it's it, I think it's a lot of fun as well uh, when I was writing the examples trying to understand uh, uh, what 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 you could do with the data uh, or what you could extract as insights from the data I had to I had to kind of calm myself down when I was just doing, you know, just simple ingestion, but I wanted to go further, uh, um, like trying to do, okay, let's, let's look at aggregations that you are joining the data. Oh, but that's, oh, we are, we are only in chapter three. Uh, so maybe we should wait. Uh, so, but I think it, it's that thing, it's that kind of product where you, you kind of become passionate about it mm-hmm. because you start with one angle and then you see where, where you can go and where you can add value and learn more. And then you become more curious and then you go, um, you read more of the chapters of the book and the appendices and all those things. So, so it's really, it's, it's, I think, I think that's, that's probably where you should start is find your data set, go ingest it, uh, start, start, you know, fingering with the data. Um, and look at what's happening with with it. So cool. So lots of fun. I had I had lots. a pun which was uh, it lit a spark, but um, yeah, we went. <laughs> it was a very good. We'll just leave it there. <laughs> so so if you uh, when when you uh, when you get a chance to uh, to uh, to look at chapter sixteen, which is going to come, I think, really soon in the in the uh, early access. Uh, I've I've heard that you were a fan of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So there's a reference to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in. I think it's almost compulsory, isn't it? I I don't know. (laughs) Ah, yeah. (laughs) So excellent. And um, so, if anyone is interested in uh, finding more, then there I will. uh, Well, you could search for the book on the Manning website. It's probably the easiest way just to find it um spark in action second edition uh in the show notes i will post some discount codes you can use i won't read them all out because that'll be very tedious radio uh, but you can find them um and for more information on uh 
Jean, I have, oops, I have lost your website. There it is. For more information on Jean, it's actually a very simple website, jgp.net. Uh, you must have had that one for a long time. I don't know. <laughs> I, I've, I've been having it for, yeah, a long time. <laughs> my, my, uh, my first, my first internet startup in the mid nineties, yeah, was, was in the domain of internet. So <laughs> I was, I was sensitive to acquiring domain name early. <laughs> <laughs> That was my interview with Jean-Georges Perrin and about uh, his book and his work. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I have another little project to plug. This is something I've been working on and off for some time and it's taken kind of different guises. This is my One Day the World Ended project. This started out as a series of short stories which still exist. They're actually offline at the moment. I need to figure out what I'm going to do with them in the grand structure of the project, but they will come back along with the along with re-released audio recordings of those short stories. The, the premise was the world ended, uh, and quite how that happened is a little unclear. Uh, and then there's a series of scenarios of kind of interweaving scenarios about what happened next. Somewhat surreal science fiction fantasy, uh, series of short stories. But I actually started creating a bot out of it as well to match my board game jerk bot. Check that one out on Twitter if you don't know it. Um, that sort of generated random tweets about how the world ended and what happened next. It isn't actually live yet because the, the, the grammar behind that is a bit more complex and nuanced than the board game jerk one. But um, I also decided I'd turn it into a role-playing game after playing um, a game called Honey Heist on New Year's Eve, which was a very, very simple role-playing game. I suddenly realized that role-playing games don't have to be complicated. I've played a lot of these kind of, you know, a couple of pages of rules type games which focus more on storytelling. So I decided I would turn this idea into a role-playing game. Uh, the website is uh, onedaytheworldended.com. Uh, you can find the rules there to play it yourself. Uh, and you basically have random characters and a random setting, and you have to kind of solve the mystery of what happened with your storyteller. The game also features an app, which forced me to learn React, which I found interesting. Uh, it's probably an overuse of React. It probably, it probably didn't need anything so complicated, but uh, it was a good excuse to learn it. Um, and the app generates the characters for you with a bunch of characteristics and then the setting and the scenario. The You could also find the game on itch.io, which is a website for people who self-make games. So if you're on there, you can also find One Day the World ended on itch.io. I haven't really play tested this yet. Uh, it seemed so simple that maybe I didn't need to, but of course it's probably lazy of me. It's more that I just uh, was enthusiastic just to get it out and maybe let people play test it itself. And as it's kind of lives online, I mean, I can update rules and tweaks as I go. So I'd love to, I'd love to have you and a group of friends play test the game for me, uh, give me your experiences. I will be open source. Well, all the, uh, the, the applications and code. And the website are open source, but I need to add uh, contributor instructions, et cetera, et cetera. Sorry, Christian, I will get there. Um, and then I would like people to actually be able to contribute their own um, their own content to the generator that generates the world, their own scenarios. I have two scenarios in progress uh, that I'm actually going to set up as well uh, in case people find the random generator a bit too random. And creating a few scenarios as we go too. So I'm going to create a whole process where people can contribute to that. So if that sounds interesting, go to onedaytheworldended.com. 
And that's, uh, that's, that's, that's it for another weekly squeak. You can find more information on the show, previous episodes at christianjiller.com slash podcast. And you can contact me at slash contact. I'd love to hear from you. I also have a new Facebook page. I have migrated my personal profile into a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Christian Chiller. It's a little empty right now because I've only just done that, but uh, I will be putting a lot more interactions for the show up there too. And some other places are coming soon. So watch all of these spaces. But in the meantime, I'll stop blathering. And if you have been, thank you for listening.